The world calls him Samhain. I am his intoxicated one. Laughing and laughing, he gave me the gift of immortal Kripal. This is the Bhajan Samhain Samhain Dunia Kende on page 252. Since I saw Samhain, I have hidden him in my eyes. I have never forgotten the way Samhain smiled. Samhain is beloved. Samhain is beautiful. Samhain is the owner of my heart. He was the radiant form who lives in the eyes. His style was unique. His glory was unique. Still I have not understood. Every day I cry. Every day I sing. People call me mad. White beard, broad forehead, tying a turban he came. Even the fairies bow down to him. And the moon has come out in the sky. The world searches for him outside, but he has given everyone the slip. Let us all go to Sirsa, Kripal proclaimed. But Jareb also sang, Gracious Samhain has caused the drizzle to shower. Come, let us all have the darshan of the radiant form. The world calls him Samhain. I am his intoxicated one. Laughing and laughing, he gave me the gift of immortal Kripal. Bhajan of Sanchi on page 252. Sahuan <coughs> <coughs> Hasida Hasida Dehigi Amenu Kirpala Maranishani Sawana Sawana Dunia Kendi Mayodi Masitani Hasida Hasida Dehigi Amenu Kirpala Marni Shani Sawana Sawana Dunia Kendi Jadada Sawana Najariya Halika Vicha Lukaya Ajitakna Bulahi Sakya Jo Savana Muskaya Jadada Savana Najariya Palaka Vicha Lukaya Ajitakna Bulahi Sakya Jo Savana Muskaya Sawana Piara, Sawana Sona, Sawana Piara, Sawana Sona, Sawana Dilbar Jani, 
ਹਸਦਾ ਹਸਦਾ ਦੇ ਗਿਆ ਮੈਨੂੰ ਕਿਰਪਾਲ ਮਰਨੀ ਸ਼ਾਨੀ ਸਾਵਨ ਸਾਵਨ ਦੁਨੀਆ ਕੇਂਦੀ ਮੇਹੋਤੀ ਮਸਤਾਨੀ ਹਸਦਾ ਹਸਦਾ ਦੇ ਗਿਆ ਮੈਨੂੰ ਕਿਰਪਾਲ ਮਰਨੀ ਸ਼ਾਨੀ ਸਾਵਨ ਸਾਵਨ ਦੁਨੀਆ ਕੇਂਦੀ ਓ ਸੀਏ ਕਨੁਰਾਨੀ ਚਿਹਰਾ ਅਨਕਵੀ ਚਸਮਾਈਆ ਚੋਜ ਨਿਰਾਲੀ ਸ਼ਾਨ ਨਿਰਾਲੀ ਅਜ ਸਮਝ ਨਾ ਆਇਆ ਉਹ ਸੀਏ ਕਨੁਰਾਨੀ ਚਿਹਰਾ ਅਨਕਵੀ ਚਸਮਾਇਆ ਚੋਜ ਨਿਰਾਲੀ ਸ਼ਾਨ ਨਿਰਾਲੀ ਅਜ ਸਮਝ ਨਾ ਆਇਆ ਨਿਤ ਹੀਰੋ ਕਿਰਪਾਲ ਮਰਨੀ ਸ਼ਾਨੀ ਸਾਵਨ ਸਾਵਨ ਦੁਨੀਆ ਕੇਂਦੀ ਮੇਓ ਦੀ ਮਸਤਾਨੀ ਹਸਦਾ ਹਸਦਾ ਦੇ ਗਿਆ ਮੈਨੂੰ ਕਿਰਪਾਲ ਮਰਨੀ ਸ਼ਾਨੀ ਸਾਵਨ ਸਾਵਨ ਦੁਨੀਆ ਕੇਂਦੀ ਚੀਤੀ ਦਾਰੀ ਚੋੜਾ ਮਾਥਾ ਪਗਰੀ ਬਨ ਸਜਾਇਆ ਫਰੀਅਤ ਕੋਨੁ ਸਜਦੇ ਕਰ ਦਿਆ ਚਾਨ ਵੀ ਅੰਬਰ ਚਦਾਇਆ ਚੀਤੀ ਡਾਰੀ ਚੋਦਾ ਮਾਤਾ ਪਗਰੀ ਬਨ ਸਜਾਇਆ ਫਰੀਅਤ ਕੋਨੁ ਚਜਦੇ ਕਰ ਦਿਆ ਚਾਨ ਵੀ ਅੰਬਰ ਚਦਾਇਆ ਦੁਨੀਆ ਉਹਨੂੰ ਬਾਹਰ ਲੱਭਦੀ ਦੁਨੀਆ ਉਹਨੂੰ ਬਾਹਰ ਲੱਭਦੀ ਦੇਖਿਆ ਕੀਤੇ ਜਖਾਨੀ ਹੱਸਦਾ ਹੱਸਦਾ ਦੇ ਗਿਆ ਮੈਨੂੰ ਕਿਰਪਾਲ ਮਰਨੀ ਸ਼ਾਨੀ ਸਾਵਨ ਸਾਵਨ ਦੁਨੀਆ ਕੇਂਦੀ ਮੇਓ ਡੀ ਮਾਸਤਾਨੀ 
हसदा हसदा देगिया मीनू कृपाल मर निशानी सावन सावन दुनिया खेंदी चलो निसे सिर सानू चालिए कृपाल ने हो कलाया सावन दयालु ने रीम चीम लाई अजाए बने भी गाया चलो निसे सिर सानू चालिए कृपाल ने हो दर्शन करिए वो सब ही दर्शन करिए ओ सूरत नूरानी हंसदा हंसदा देगी अमीनू कृपाल मरनीशानी सावन सावन दुनिया कंदी मेयोदी मजदानी हंसदा हंसदा देगी अमीनू कृपाल मर निशानी सावन सावन दुनिया सावन आई एम इज इंटॉक्सिकेटेड वन लाफिंग एंड लाफिंग ही गेव मी द गिफ्ट ऑफ इमोरल कृपाल नेक्स्ट वजन इज ऑन पेज टू एटी टू Oh Satguru take my boat across I am drowning in the stream of this world No one else can take me out of it Bring the drowned boat to the shore Oh friend do not lose your heart I shall show you both the ends of the world I will make your attention climb up the stream in the company of the shepherd I'll take you across Keep the master within your heart listen to the melody of nam within again and again the waves erupt and the limitless whirlpools are created with his grace i have reached aswandwar radhaswami has taken me across oh satguru take my boat across i am drowning in this stream of this world Bajana Swami Ji Maharaj on page 282 Lagao meri naiya sat guru pa Lagao meri naiya sat guru pa
Take my boat across. I am drowning in the stream of this world. We've been considering uh, at least I have been considering some of the disparities between spiritual impulse on the one hand and the way it plays out in the world on the other hand uh, question of love and law or love and power and the, uh, the way in which that which is from the highest and most authentic core of the universe can, by the time it reaches this world and is manifested through the actions and words of others, become something very different and very much less. And I, this is a major, it seems to me this is a major, major issue. And it applies people on the path as much as it applies to people in any religious tradition, um, all of which began and at their highest manifest something very like, if not exactly the same as the path, what we call the path. So I wanted to read... Um, today by way of commentary and all that the final chapter from Master Kripal's masterpiece The Crown of Life in which he goes into the psychological and um, I guess you could say cosmological reasons for all this and it's worth bearing in mind not only from the point of view of you know, someone who is commenting on this from a, a perspective that includes the entire universe, but also from the point of view of the way we work in the world and how we relate to 
other people's situations, circumstances, what we bring to that um, as compared to what we might bring to it because of what we've been given. So this is chapter 8 of The Crown of Life. And he says, the foregoing survey in brief of the major religions of the world and some of their modern ramifications, which, of course, was the two chapters just before this one, makes abundantly clear a general drift towards some common basic assumptions and beliefs. A, that the physical universe is no more than a small part of a much larger whole, B, that in like manner our everyday human existence is only a fragment of the vast and complex pattern of life. C, that behind the phenomenal physical and human world there is an absolute reality or a state of perfect being beyond change or destruction, complete within itself, which is responsible for all that is and yet stands over and above its own creation. D, that this reality, this state of perfect being, may be approached by man under competent guidance through the agency of the word or the divine stream radiating light and harmony which represent the primal manifestations of the formless into form and from whose downward descent all realms and regions came into existence. If all religious experience tends in the same direction, then why, one asks, is there so much of conflict and controversy in the sphere of religion? Why is it that the devotees of every faith regard theirs as the only true one and all other faiths as false? Why is there dogmatic faith and spiritual monopoly? And wherefore the Holy Crusades, the massacre of St. Bartholomew, the Spanish Inquisition, or the communal riotings in India in 1947? The question is a valid one. <coughs> and the reasons that must go toward answering it are many and complex. The first thing that strikes one when taking up the comparative study of religion is its existence on different levels. At the core of every major religion stands the practical, mystical experience of some great sage or a succession of sages. Around this center have accumulated accretions of social codes, customs, and ritual. Now the core may be common to the mystics of various ages and countries, but the social context in which it is experienced and conveyed must of necessity vary. The Westerner bears his head as a mark of reverence, while the Oriental covers it. The Hindu, belonging to a land with many rivers and abundant water, bathes before his prayers, while his Muslim counterpart, coming from the deserts of Arabia, is satisfied with a dry bath with sand. The European, living as he does in the colder regions, feels neither of these compulsions. Such differences of custom extend to other spheres as well. 
Polygamy may be lawful to the Muslim, but it is a sin to the Catholic. Idol worship may be quite permissible in Hinduism, but is hateful to the Puritan. The fact is that all religious leaders have stressed the need for maintaining high ethical standards, but their ethic has never been of the nature of an absolute. They have taken into account the social conditions obtaining among the people at the times at which they came and have tried to raise them to the highest possible point, aiming not so much at a standardization of outer custom as at inner purity of heart and goodwill toward one's human and non-human fellow creatures. Jesus' immediate listeners may have failed to appreciate the truth of his assertion that he had come not to break but to fulfill the law. And yet, if Moses gave out the precept of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, Christ taught his disciples to love their enemies and to offer their right cheek when the left was slapped. Moses spoke according to the conditions of his time and Jesus according to his own. So the ethics of Christianity deviated from those of Judaism, even though it is an extension of the older faith. As a consequence of the factors that came into play in the development of religion as a social institution, we find that each religion creates around itself a distinct pattern of customs, dogmas, and ritual. This pattern being distinct in each case, the devotees of every faith must necessarily feel themselves as standing apart from those of other faiths, not only in their dress and manners, but also in their modes of social concepts and attitudes. Yet the lives of all great religious leaders, like Jesus and Buddha, reveal that while each of them accepted and extended the code of his own people, they nevertheless never forgot that all men were brothers and treated members of other societies with the same respect and consideration as they displayed to those of their own. Behind the varying outer forms that characterize life, they saw pulsating the same unity of being, and it was from this level that they regarded all humanity. What was possible to the great founders of religions should be possible for those who claim to follow them. But when we look at things as they stand, we find that this possibility of intercommunication, cooperation, and understanding between various faiths has seldom, if ever, been realized. A mystic like Sri Ramakrishna may practically demonstrate the inner oneness of all religions, but the rest of us fail to grasp the point. And Master has a footnote here. Sri Ramakrishna, to test the truth that all religions lead to the same spiritual goal, practiced in turn the outer and inner disciplines of Hinduism, Christianity, and Islam, and in each case he found the end reached was the same. The fact is that every major world religion, after the passing away of its founder, grew into an institution with a priesthood to manage its affairs. The pundits in India, the mullahs and Maldives in Islam, 
the Pharisees and rabbis in Judaism and the monks and bishops in Christianity. This development made possible the extension of the message of the great founders to numbers they could never have instructed themselves. Buddha personally met and influenced many an individual, but what was their number in comparison to the millions that heard the doctrine of Dharma when Ashoka created the various Sanghas, or orders of Buddhist monks, two centuries after his death? Besides, it enabled the perpetuation of his message down the ages. Buddha has come and gone. Jesus may have been immolated on the cross, but the Sangha and the Church continue and keep alive their teachings in a widespread manner, which could not have been done if no such institutions had been developed. But if the institutionalization of the teachings of great spiritual leaders enabled their propagation and perpetuation, it also led to their transformation. The message of Christ or of Buddha as it was first delivered by each of them was one thing, but in the hands of the church and sang that followed, it became another. The great religious leaders were moved and guided by first-hand inner experience, and it was this actuality that lay at the heart of their teachings. They saw it as something universal, something latent in every human being, and it was toward this that they directed the attention of their disciples, employing ethical advancement as a lever for spiritual progress. When their task, after their passing away, was taken over by rapidly expanding organizations, which grew more complex with time, one could not expect all of their members to have attained the same heights or even to have any glimpses of the inner mystic realms. Little wonder, then, that with the growth of the church and the like, the interest in every religion should have tended to shift from the mystical to the ethical, the ritualistic, and the doctrinal. In short, from the universal to the particular. Only a rare soul may penetrate through the dark veil within. But for every such being, a million, nay, a billion, may discuss problems of ethics, practice outer ceremonies, and hold strong opinions on various subjects, opinions not inspired or tested by personal experience, but picked up from the marketplace of life. And so, whereas we find no rigid framework of ritual or doctrine or outer code in the teachings of Jesus himself, everything being fluid and flexible in a ready state to be directed to the service of the mystical message, a rigid framework emerged with the growth of the Christian church. As this variation took place, new barriers arose between the followers of Jesus and those of other faiths, barriers that never existed before. As though this were not enough, the rise of priestcraft worked in yet another direction. The church in its phase of growth had, in most cases, to struggle against heavy odds, as everything new usually meets with strong opposition. It could only offer the cross of danger and dep deprivation, not the rose of prosperity. Those who entered it, entered it for the sake of their convictions, 
not for love of power. But once the church had come to be accepted, it began to exercise considerable sway over the people. They offered it gifts and titles and made it the final arbiter, not only in matters spiritual, but in matters temporal as well. Thus began a process by which the priesthood turned from the inner to the outer life, from self-abnegation to temporal power. In order to preserve its position, the Church encouraged the growth of doctrines and traditions that reinforced its monopoly of authority. To strengthen itself, it created a halo around the altar to which it was in service and condemned the altars where it had no hand. If the self-styled servants of Jehovah or those of some other name of deity were to maintain and extend their position and sway, then it was necessary that all gods of the Philistines or of the heathens should be condemned. These factors that we have considered operate in every field of human activity. The historian is only too well aware of the fate of every new movement, whether of a religious or a secular character. It arises with a man of vision, undergoes rapid expansion in the hands of those whom his example has directly inspired, and then enters into a process of gradual senility and decay. The descent from a pulsating vision to a mechanical dogma is not peculiar to religion alone, but nevertheless there are certain features in the case of religion which do not occur elsewhere. These unique problems stem from the mystical experience at the heart of every great religion. The mystic experience, as we have seen, extends to planes of existence to which normally human beings have no access. Only a handful, nay, less than a handful, can claim its mastery in any age. It is an experience unique in character, for it possesses a kind of richness, extensiveness, intensity, and beauty that finds no parallel in earthly life. But we on this earthly plane can comprehend its meaning only within the limitations of our own mundane experience. The choice before the mystic, if he wishes to convey to us something of his unique experience, not just ending in silence or in the negative statements of the Vedantist or of St. John of the Cross, is perforce to resort to metaphor and parable. In Malana Rumi's Masnavi, we are told, it is not fitting that I tell thee more, for the stream's bed cannot hold the sea. Jesus was quite explicit on the subject when speaking to his closest disciples, to whom he could directly convey first-hand inner experience. Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but unto those that are without, all things are done in parables. Whereas direct statement tends to be limited by the analyzable qualities of the object, figurative statement suffers no such bar. Poets have described their love for a woman in terms of a rose, a star, a melody, a flame, the moon, etc. The mystics have used a similar license when speaking of their love for God. 
But while the listeners to the poet speaking of human love are always aware that he is using metaphors, knowing well what a woman is, those hearing the mystic have no such comparison and often tend to forget that what he is saying is only figurative. So the statements of the man of spiritual vision are often taken literally when they are meant to be only metaphorical and metaphorically when they are meant to be literal. Thus, when Jesus or Mohammed declared that he was the Son or the Messiah of God, as all great souls who have merged their will with the divine will have said, they were each taken to imply that he was literally the only Son of the Almighty. Or again, when Jesus, speaking not in his capacity as a finite individual, but in that of the eternal divine principle that he embodied, said, I shall never leave thee nor forsake thee, even to the ends of the world, he was taken literally. So to speak active spirit, to seek active spiritual guidance from a living teacher after Jesus was no more became a sign of disbelief and therefore was dubbed a heresy. But when Jesus quite literally spoke of the single eye or of God as light, he was taken to refer figuratively to integrity of conscience and the light of reason. Little wonder, then, that with each statement being thus interpreted, or rather misinterpreted, meanings should emerge which the sage who made them never had in mind, and dogmas and doctrines should be propounded in his name, which have little relation to the universal inner experiences which inspired him. So differences of doctrine between one creed and another arose that were never in the contemplation of their founders. Moreover, the inner realms are so vast and varied that no one mystic could ever hope to point to all aspects of the inner panorama. At best, he can hint at some part of it, and that may not be exactly the same as those parts of which others have spoken, with the result that to the reader who has himself no direct access to the realms within, there may appear certain discrepancies between the writings of one mystic and another, which, in fact, do not exist. Further, not all mystics reach the highest spiritual goal. Only a few succeed in breaking through the veil of inner darkness to the full, and of these, the majority never get beyond the first inner spiritual plane. Of those who do succeed in going further, the greater number never cross the second plane, and so on. Now, each of the planes has its own peculiarities and characteristics, and whereas the higher planes contain and maintain the lower ones, the inhabitants of the lower planes are seldom aware of the existence of the higher planes. Each plane, in comparison to the one before it, seems perfection itself, and every mystic who has spoken of his divine experience has described it as though it were the be-all and the end-all of spiritual progress. The inescapable consequence of this is that we encounter descriptions of the Absolute that after an allowance for differences of figurative language has been made, fail to agree. Jesus speaks of the divine in its paternal aspect, Sri Ramakrishna in its maternal one. The Shankya mystics speak of God, Prakriti, and Atman as forever separate, 
Ramanuja as related but never merging into one, while Shankara sees them as of the self-same essence, their separation being not real but only an illusion. All this means a mass of confusion to the common reader. But should he meet one who has reached the highest realm and is familiar with the experience of each of the inner planes, all contradictions would vanish, for he can demonstrate that though the six blind men made apparently the most contradictory statements about the nature of the elephant, yet they could all be finally reconciled by one who could see the whole elephant. In this context, the teachings of the Surat Shabad Yoga acquire yet another significance. We have already seen at some length how it represents the quickest, most practical, and the most scientific means to man's spiritual goal. We may now add that by taking him to the highest of the spiritual planes, the point where the formless comes into form, it provides him with the best vantage ground for viewing the vast field of spirituality. That which would confuse and baffle others leaves the adept on this path unruffled. Contradictions vanish at his touch, and that which once confused and confounded resolves itself after his exposition into perfect order. He understands each of the spiritual and quasi-spiritual movements that confront us today. He can at will enter into the inner experience that each can offer, and he is the best fitted to judge their relative merits. He does not condemn or attack. He is not moved by hatred or opposition. Having seen the highest, his aim is to take his fellow human beings to it in the smoothest, swiftest way. He knows that the life within is not to be confounded with the life without, and preaches his message not as a code, but as a science. Try within, he tells us, and see for yourself. The science he teaches is not a new one. It is the most ancient of sciences. But whereas in the past it tended to ally itself to much that was not essential to it, he wishes to preserve it in its pure state and pristine glory. He carries to their logical conclusion the mystic truths embedded in all great scriptures, stressing that if God in, these, in his primal form is light and music, we must inwardly turn to these and not to any other means for reaching back to him and merging with him. Where there was chaos, he brings order. Where there was despair, he brings hope. And for each of us, in whatever capacity we may be, he has some comfort some illumination to offer. And in line with that, only with more emphasis on perhaps our individual actions, both amongst ourselves, our brothers and sisters, and people at large who are, of course, also our brothers and sisters. Uh, I want to read a section, two paragraphs, or two sections, from Master Kapal's great circular on ends and means. 
which was is, is included in the book The Way of the Saints. And again, this is part of his lifelong struggle, battle against missing the point, which is what the chapter that we just read is all about, and it's what this particular circular is all about. Uh, to remember what the point really is. He says, it is very necessary to distinguish clearly the ends from the means. To lay too much stress on the means is likely to make us gradually forget our objective and to become fossilized. Once we know, for example, that abstinence from all kinds of meat diet and spiritous liquors helps us on the spiritual path, it is enough that we avoid them. But to take it as an end in itself is to miss the goal. Offending others because they eat meat is worse than meat-eating itself. Hate the sin but love the sinner. Live and let others live. Welcome those are who choose to come on the way, but we have no right to hate or offend others because they eat meat. Vegetarian diet is essentially a helping factor for those who would prefer to follow the teachings of the Master. Hafiz, a great saint, says, drink wine, burn the holy scriptures, and put Kaaba, the house of God, on fire. You may do all this, but never offend or molest anybody. If you are really anxious to meet God, you should not offend or molest the heart of anybody, which is the dwelling house of God. It may, however, be stated that if one adheres to strict vegetarian diet, that will help a good deal in having normal life, but does not necessarily result in better tempers, controlled sex life, or detachment from gross thoughts, desires, and actions, worldly ambitions, possessiveness, lust, or greed. Kabir says, if you leave hearth and home and retire to a secluded place, and live on pure vegetarian diet, even then the mind does not leave off its base habits. Alongside such essential and positive aids, we must religiously devote regular time to the spiritual practices of contacting the light and sound so as to cut down the ramifications of mind, which is so very necessary for self-realization and God-realization, and mold our life accordingly. I'd like to add that for the aspirants on the path, it is but necessary that so long as one is in the physical body, vegetarianism should be strictly adhered to. The unholy may be sanctified and made holy only when one is altogether above body consciousness. And relaxation in, this, in the matter of diet would not only be a positive hindrance in meditations, but would unnecessarily contract karmic reactions. No doubt there is life principle in all type of diets, yet in the vegetables it is in the lowest form and as such the least harmful. The real goal is to use every means possible to rise into full God consciousness. Similarly, the philosophy of karma too has a specific place in the system of spiritual science but it should on no account be made to induce morbidity and breed a spirit of frustration among initiates and non-initiates. Man is the maker of his own destiny. 
Though we cannot alter the past, yet we can forge the future as best we may. Thus far and no further is the deadline which the Master draws for each one of us, and it should on no account be transgressed. When you are put on the path of true, pure yoga, you become free of past holes of stress and tensions, physical and subtle. Calmness and harmony are experienced, and purification and true detachment are only realized by the average man through the consciousness of the saint, which, if a true master gives through his divine grace, the heavy mountainous loads of past actions become molehills, and molehills become nothing. Guru Nanak says, What is the good of coming to your feet, O Master, if our karmic debts are not nullified? It is no use taking refuge at the feet of a lion if jackals still be howling on him. The Master has to do his job and the initiates their own, to push on with full confidence in the Master. There are too many leaners on idealistic imagination amongst the initiates and too few who practice. The meditation period should not be one of pretty emotional feelings only. The initiates should surrender their all to the Master and be willing to die and give up their life for God. Learn to die so that you may begin to live. The Master knows how to deal best with it. Ours is to act well in the living present as enjoined by the Master. If we act up to his commandments, he will never forsake us till the end of the world. We feel, on the contrary, that after the initiation we are absolved from all obligations and free to do what we may by simply putting our trust in his grace. This attitude is a great stumbling block on the path and retards all real progress. It does not pay in the least to purposely close our eyes in self-complacency the stern reality of the situation that places rights and obligations in equal proportion on each and every individual. We cannot pick and choose as we may like. We must therefore guard against such a frustrated mentality and have to work our way ourselves, for there are no short shrifts in the science of the spirit. It is a long and laborious process of unfoldment for the spirit and we have of necessity to take care of the higher values of life at each step if we are keen in our search for truth. It is a steep path which if we have to tread without stumbling, we must tread with our heart forever fixed on the goal and on the steps immediately before us for there is no time to look behind. <clears throat> it can only make us shudder and tremble. Ignorance is the only disease from which the soul suffers. It can only be cured by knowledge, and the knowledge is the action of the soul and is perfect without the senses, though on the physical plane it cannot do without the service of the senses. True knowledge only dawns on the supramental plane where physical senses can be of no avail. But until that stage of direct communication with the radiant form of the Master is attained, one has to take care in everything, for the path is slippery and strewn over with hidden traps that may at any moment catch the unwary pilgrim on the path. Once one slips, the golden opportunity is lost, and one does not know when one may be able to get a human birth once again. 
when we lay too much stress on the means, namely vegetarian diet and karmas, we should lay still more emphasis on inversion and withdrawal from the senses and put in more time for the purpose. (coughs) And he concludes this circular um, by saying, last but not least, I repeat what has so often been said time and again, by love serve one another. For love is the master key that unlocks the door leading to the kingdom of God. Loving faith in God and selfless service of his creation are the two commandments by which stand all the law and all the prophets. So we are... Dear friends, I have to tell you that I had... I thought I knew exactly what was going to happen today and I had planned out which tape to play. I queued it up carefully and then I forgot to bring it. Uh, Somehow or other, I left a number of things that I had intended to bring at home. Um, That tape was on the will of God and it was Sanchi's final talk in... uh, on the 96 World Tour uh, in Acton, Massachusetts. And as you may remember, it's a great talk. I'm not going to go over it because as far as I know now, I plan to play it next time. Also, it will be a month from now. Um, anyway, it's a nice example of how no matter what we do, the will of God tends to prevail. And I guess it was not Master's will that we hear that tape today. So... Uh, we are having a tape, and I have no idea what it is, and we will see what um, Master has in store for us by hearing it. I bow down at the feet of my beloved Master Sound and Tripal, who has showered so much grace upon this poor soul, who himself came to cool down. This burning soul, Kabir Sahib has said that he who always feels as if his master is always sad, and he who always remains in the obedience of the master, he will always obey the commandments of the master. Kabir says that since the disciple of the master does not have to fear anything in the three words. <laughs> At all the times 
the teachings of the saints and Mahatmas, the peace and the prophets, all the perfect beings were the same, the message which they gave was the same. Even though in the olden times, since there were not so many good means of communication and the transportation, that is why the working field of those past masters were very limited. But you may go through the, reading, the writings and the scriptures written by the past masters. You may research all what they had said. And you will come to know that all the masters had the same thing to offer. All the masters had the same teachings to teach. So, Pachisar Maharaj Karpal Nehra. क्योंकि उन जानते साधन बड़ी जबरदस्त सन संसार में चुका देता हर महात्मा ने यही कहा कि सत्संग को बगैर सुनी नहीं होगी नाम तो बगैर मुक्ति नहीं गुरु तो बगैर नाम नहीं मिलता For 25 years of his life, Master Kripal Singh gave out this message very freely and with all his strength because the means of transportation were very much, the means of transportation available were very many. That is why he went all over the world and he gave out this message. All the masters have said that we do not get the awareness without going to the satsang. There is no liberation without receiving the now. And without the perfect master, we cannot get the now. कि कोई देने वाले दा कोई कसूर नहीं मतलब का लेने वाले दा है प्यार जैसा जैसा के दा पत्थर सी जैसी जैसी के दी मालूमी रोहानी अधी वैसा वैसा उन्हें उस बर्तन में वस्तु पाई खुले दलना पाई In every corner of this world, Master Kripalji made this message to reach that there is no problem with the giver. The giver who has come to give does not have any problem. The problems are always with those who have received it. So, according to the receptivity of the people, whatever kind of vessel they have made to get the wealth of spirituality for from him, and whatever their desires were, according to those, they got the gift, they got the wealth of spirituality from Master Kripa, and he gave out this wealth of spirituality very freely and in abundance to those who deserve it. सदा यही दर्शन वास्ते होना होना है उनका संदेश जो है वो पहचान वास्ते होना है और ताजा करने वास्ते होना है। I always come here to tell you the same thing. I always come to make his message to all of you. I just come here to refresh the message here. आती परमोत्तम रामी
ਛੋਟਾ ਜਿਹਾ ਸ਼ਬਦ ਰੱਖਿਆ ਜਾਂਦਾ ਗੌਰਨਾ ਸੁਣ ਵਾਲਾ ਸੁਆਮੀ ਦੀ ਮਹਾਰਾਜ ਲੋਕ ਪ੍ਰੇਮੀ ਲੋਕ ਆਪੀ ਦਾ ਸਮਾਨ ਇਕੱਠਾ ਕਰ ਲੈਂਦੇ ਸਨ ਜੋ ਪ੍ਰੇਮੀ ਕਰਦਾ ਸਵਾਨ ਉਸ ਦੀ ਆਰਤੀ ਕਰ ਲੈਂਦੇ ਸਨ ਆਪੀ ਦਾ ਮਤਲਬ ਆਤਮਾ ਦਾ ਉਸ ਪਰਮਾਤਮਾ ਦੇ ਵਿੱਚ ਮਿਲਣਾ ਹੈ ਆਮ ਤੌਰ ਤੇ ਅਸੀਂ ਕੀ ਕਰਦੇ ਹਾਂ ਬਾਹਰ ਮੁਖੀ ਜਿਹਨੂੰ ਅੰਦਰ ਆਪਣੀ ਦੇਖਣ ਨੂੰ ਮਿਲਦਾ ਹੈ ਸਿੱਖ ਲੋਕ ਵੀ ਅੰਦਰ ਗੁਰੂ ਗ੍ਰੰਥ ਸਾਹਿਬ ਦੇ ਵਿੱਚ ਇਹੀ ਨਕਲ ਕਰਦੇ ਹੈ ਇੱਕ ਥਾਂ ਹੁੰਦਾ ਹੈ ਉਸ ਦੇ ਵਿੱਚ ਸੁਬਤੀ ਦਾ ਰੂਪ ਦਿਖਾਈ ਜਾਂਦੀ ਹੈ ਜੋਤ ਦਿਖਾਈ ਜਾਂਦੀ ਹੈ ਔਰ ਉਸ ਦੇ ਇੱਕ ਸੰਮੋਖਣ ਕੇ ਜੇਰੀ ਜਾਂਦੀ ਹੈ ਅਵੇਰੀ ਬ੍ਰੀਫ ਐਮ ਆਫਰ ਦੂ ਸਵਾਮੀ ਜੀ ਮਹਾਰਾਜ ਇਸ ਪ੍ਰੈਜੈਂਟ ਟੂ ਯੂ ਇਸ ਲਿਸਨਿੰਗ ਇਸ ਵਰਕ ਲਿਸਨਿੰਗ ਟੂ ਵਿਦ ਮਚ ਅਟੈਂਸ਼ਨ ਇਨ ਦ ਟਾਈਮਸ ਆਫ ਦੂ ਸਵਾਮੀ ਜੀ ਮਹਾਰਾਜ ਵੈਨਵਰ ਐਨੀ ਡਿਸਾਈਪਲ ਵਾਂਟਡ ਟੂ ਪਰਫਾਰਮ ਦੀ ਆਰਤੀ ਹੀ ਵਾਸ ਅਲਾਉਡ ਟੂ ਡੂ ਥੈਟ ਸੋ ਹੂ ਸੋਐਵਰ ਵੁਡ ਕਰੈਕਟ ਦ ਥਿੰਗਸ ਵਿਚ ਵੈਰ ਇਟ ਟੂ ਪਰਫਾਰਮ ਦੀ ਆਰਤੀ ਥੈਟ ਵਾਸ ਐਕਸੈਪਟਡ ਐਂਡ ਆਰਤੀ ਐਕਚੁਅਲੀ ਮੀਨਸ ਐਬਜ਼ੋਰਬਿੰਗ ਆਰ ਡਿਸੋਲਵਿੰਗ ਆਵਰ ਸੋਲ ਇਨਟੂ ਗੋਡ ਆਲਮਾਈਟੀ but what do we usually do usually it is seen in the temples of the hindus that they take a big plate in which they burn the incense and they burn the light and they <coughs> go on moving that plate in front of the god they worship nowadays even the sikhs have started to imitate them they also do that in front of rohan sam so swami ji maharaj da bhav ki hai premi atma hrde da banaundi hai thaar sabhi bhakti ਪਰਸ਼ਦਦੀ ਜੋਤੇ ਨਾਲ ਜੁੜਦੇ ਹਨ ਬਟ ਸਵਾਮੀ ਜੀ ਮਹਾਰਾਜ ਮੀਸ ਬਾਈ ਆਰਤੀ ਦੈਟ ਕੈਵਟੀ ਸੋਲ ਡਿਸਾਈਪਲ ਮੇਕਸ ਹਿਸ ਹਾਰਟ ਐਟ ਅ ਪਲੇਸ ਐਂਡ ਵਿਦ ਇਨ ਦੈਟ ਪਲੇਸ ਹੀ ਬਰਨਸ ਦੀ ਹੀ ਮੇਕਸ ਅ ਵਿਕ ਆਫ ਦਾ ਸ਼ਬਦ ਐਂਡ ਇਟ ਬਰਨਸ ਇਟ ਬਰਨਸ ਦੈਟ ਰਿਫਲੈਕਟ ਜਦੋਂ ਕੋਈ ਆਤਮਾ ਹਿਰਦੇ ਦਾ ਧਾਰ ਸੁਰਦੀ ਮਤੀ ਸਬਦੀ ਜੋ ਜਗਾ ਕੇ ਜਾਂਦੀ ਹੈ ਸੁਪਰੇਨ ਨਗਰ ਦੇ ਵਿੱਚ ਦੁਹਾਈ ਪੈ ਜਾਂਦੀ ਹੈ ਕਿ ਕੋਈ ਪ੍ਰੇਮੀ ਆਤਮਾ ਉਹ ਪਰਮਾਤਮਾ ਨੂੰ ਮਿਲ ਜਾਂਦੀ ਹੈ ਸੋ ਵੈਨ ਹੀ ਸੋਲ ਆਫਟਰ ਮੇਕਿੰਗ ਹਿਸ ਹਾਰਟ ਐਟ ਅ ਪਲੇਸ ਇਨ ਵਿਚ ਮੇਕਿੰਗ ਦਾ ਮੇਕਿੰਗ ਇਜ਼ ਅ ਟੈਂਸ਼ਨ ਐਟ ਅ ਵੀ ਕੈਨ ਬਰਨਿੰਗ ਦਾ ਲਾਈਟ ਆਫਟਰ ਸ਼ਬਰ ਗੋਸ ਇਨ ਦਾ ਸਿਟੀ ਆਫ ਲਵ ਦੈਨ एवरीवन ਸਟਾਰਟਸ ਟਾਕਿੰਗ ਅਬਾਊਟ ਇਟ ਦੈਟ ਨਾਉ ਅਦ ਯੂ ਵਨ ਅਦ ਵਾਟ ਹੀ ਸੋਲ ਹੈਸ ਗੋਨ ਟੂ ਮੇਕ ਦਾ ਮਾਸਟਰ ਵੀ ਗੋਡ ਆਲਮਾਈਟੀ आज ताज कर भारत लाई प्रेम नगर विच गिरी है तुआई ਲਵਿੰਗ ਸੋਲ ਸੇ ਦੈਟ ਨਾਉ ਆਈ ਐਮ ਮੈਟ ਵਿਦ ਮਾਈ ਬਿਲਵਰਡ ਵਨ 
Bhajan is on page 134. Suchinamada. You yourselves make us have the color of true Nam. Oh, beautiful one, come near. Don't go away after coming near. Don't look at our bad qualities. Since we have come to you, protect our honor. Don't look through the paper of our faults. Open our eyes, which are closed. We have the pain of birth and death. Becoming a doctor, lift this disease. Come listen, O beloved Kripal. Folding his hands, 
that Jabe makes this prayer. You yourself make us of the color of true Nam. Oh, beautiful one, come here. Don't go away after coming here. Bhajan of Sanchi on page 134. <laughs> Adisonia, Kolo di Javi Natu Langa Pase, Suche Nada, Sacha Chada de Rangiate, Adisonia, Adisonia, Kolo di Javi Natu Langa Pase. Sade eva valana takre, Sade eva valana takre, Lada lagia diraka tu patre, Lada lagia diraka tu patre, Suche namada. Sacha chada de romiate, Arisonia, Arisonia, Kolo di Javina to Langa Passe, Leka Sadanaguna Havana Fulrehi, Leka Sadanaguna Havana Fulrehi. Vanda akia tu sadianu kore. Vanda akia tu sadianu kore. Suche namada sacha chada de rangiate. Arisonia, Arisonia. Kolodijanatulangapase <laughs> Sucha <laughs> Asuna <laughs> Sonia, Kolo di Javina to Langa Pase. You yourself make us of the color of true Nam. 
Oh, beautiful one, come near. Don't go away after coming near. May God bless us all.